As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Hey, Michael, you want to know something I don't miss? What's that, Mike? Pitching investors. Okay, yeah. That definitely can be a time suck when you're raising capital for your business. I've definitely been there and done that as well. Yeah, the thing is, you're always raising capital for your business, right? So it's like whenever you close one investment round, it feels like you're immediately working on that next round. And for founders, it can be up like half your time, maybe even more depending on the stage that you're at. So... Yeah, I mean, while I never mind talking to my investor friends, I'm I'm kind of glad that we're bootstrapping a product collective and don't have to worry about that too much. And I'm sure you're not bringing this topic up for no reason, right? Well, that's true. We actually have two confessions today, and both are probably going to be very relevant for bootstrapping product people and entrepreneurs. Well then, let's get right to it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. 
Rocket Ship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So today's confession, if you're out there bootstrapping your product, they might speak to you. That's right, Mike. Well, yes, possibly. I mean, both of the confessions that we have here today came from those who are bootstrapping their product. So yes, maybe you could relate to this situation if you're out there bootstrapping too. And who do we have as a guest to dissect these confessions this week? Well, if they're bootstrapping related confessions, we ought to have a bootstrapping entrepreneur with us, don't you think? Yeah, that would make sense. So we've got one. And and not just anybody, we've got Laura Roeder. Uh, Laura's the founder of the software company Meet Edgar and She's had an entire career of building and launching products, and she's lived that bootstrapping product person lifestyle while she's been at it, too. Yeah, Laura's great. She built Meet Edgar into a seven-figure profitable business, all with zero dollars of outside capital to start. Not everybody can say that they've done that. So we've had her on the show in the past, too. So here's Laura introducing herself. Last year, I started my newest SaaS business, Paperbell, which is a tool for coaches, as in life coaches, business coaches, relationship coaches, not football coaches, um, to manage their uh, client work, admin work, payment scheduling, and all that. Uh, and I'm also the founder of Meet Edgar, which is a social media scheduling tool. What we're going to need, Laura's help, because we've got two great confessions. And here's the first one. This confession, uh, we're going to call it a bootstrapper's secret. We've got our voice actor lined up, so we'll keep things anonymous, but I think we should cut right to it. I'm a little different than most of the people who have been making confessions. I don't work for a tech startup or a big company, and I'm not really a product manager. I mean, I'm sort of a product manager, in a way. I'm a bootstrapped founder of a small SaaS company. I don't really have a lot of employees. In fact, I don't have any employees. I do work with a couple of contractors to help with some things here and there, but I'm a full stack developer who has picked up design along the way. I've been running the company this way for the past eight years. We don't really get talked about in the press. We're not super high growth. We grow little by little every year. But our customers seem to like our product. And I'm having fun being the one-man show. It's been stressful at times, but I've grown accustomed to running the business this way. I was recently at a virtual conference and was doing the whole video networking thing. Somebody asked me if we raised capital for the business. I told him that no, we never did, and don't grow fast enough for those VCs anyway. He looked at me with a bit of pity in his eyes and awkwardly said, oh, sorry, and then I sort of chuckled to myself. Because here's my confession. I make about $2 million every year. I live a really modest life and not even my closest friends know just how well the business does. So while it's true that we don't grow very much every year, and that a VC probably wouldn't be interested in us because of that, I don't really care. I made enough money in the past two years alone to technically retire, but I'm not ready for that. I enjoy what I do and enjoy running what I've created. Maybe at some point I'll hire somebody to mostly run things for me or sell the whole thing, but I'm doing just fine some pity for this founder because they never raised the dollar of outside capital. But the person making the confession, well, I don't think they mind too much. Anyway, <laughs> let's hear what Laura has to say about this one. So I think this is the secret dream of all founders. 
Would you guys agree with that? Like I, all I of would us, totally agree. <laughs> Absolutely. All of us who have built a team and, you know, we, we all love our teams, but it's like, it's it, managing people, right? It can often be very challenging. So I think it's kind of funny. This is such a grass is greener thing. After you build a team, you think, would it be amazing if I, if this could be just me again and I could, you know, I could keep all the money. So yeah, the first thing I want to tell this uh, person who made this confession is you don't know it, but you are totally living the dream of all these quote unquote cool companies that you see all around you. It's true. The hardest part is people. And, yeah. and uh, I, the, the old, I'm, I'm sure there are stressful times because you have to be the support rep. You have to, you know, build new features that, probably don't make as much progress as like their vision would, would enable. But, um, but yeah, I mean, without the stress of, of a team and as long as the product doesn't go under, uh, it seems like this person is doing great for you, for you, Laura, you've, you've founded several. Have you ever wanted to go this route of just, just staying small or, or small enough to, to stay under the radar? Yeah. I mean, it's actually something that I'm experimenting with in my new business, uh, Paperbell, you know, because at Meet Edgar, um, we have had to make layoffs before because we did grow our team too quickly. Uh, obviously we weren't aware of it at the time that it was too quickly. We thought we were right on pace, but you know, that's, that's what happened later. So with Paperbell, I am being much more cautious and seeing where, you know, it makes more sense just to use freelance talent instead of hiring full-time people. And also, you know, I think something that a lot of people don't realize about getting a little further down the road is that your own finances become very detached from the company. So me and Edgar, I do own 100% of the company. But when we make more money, that money goes to the company, you know, and sometimes I can take a dividend and I do pay myself a good salary, but it feels very different than that feeling when it's just you or when you're just starting out and you're like, ah, oh, another 50 bucks a month or, <laughs> right. you know, wow, we landed like this, this thousand dollar customer, you know. So you do lose that excitement and honestly, that financial reward too, because you really have to be responsible for the financial health of the company, you know, making sure you have enough in the bank for if things go wrong, obviously making sure you can meet all your financial commitments to your team. So I think that's another side of things that people never think about. They look at businesses, but wow, that's a, you know, $10 million business, but often the founders aren't really participating in that in that upside. I mean, sometimes the founders get less and less as the business grows, because often it becomes less and less profitable as the business grows. So yeah, this, this person has everything going for them. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they made it. Yeah, they like had the holy grail, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that notion? Like he's on the zoom call, and they're almost pitying him, uh, or her, I, I, I um, what do you think about that notion um, and, and the way that we think about businesses like this? I have totally been there. You know, I think every bootstrapper has been there where there is often been this attitude of like, oh, your company, you know, couldn't quite hack it to raise money. Your company's not a serious company. Your company's not a real company. Um, I remember I went to uh, Saster one year, a few years ago, which is, you know, very venture focused conference. And out of the, and it's a huge conference, right? They have tons and tons of sessions. There was only one session 
that had to do with bootstrapping in any way. And they put it in the tiniest room (laughs) of the whole conference center. But the funniest part was the room filled up literally an hour before the talk. Hmm. Like everyone was so interested in hearing from successful bootstrap businesses. And I think Sastor had really read the room incorrectly to think, oh, we'll just put it in this tiny room and no one's yeah. going to want to go to this. And I just yeah. couldn't believe out of out of all the talks and all the panels, that was the only one that had to do with bootstrapping. But that really reflected you know, the attitude at the time, which I think has changed a little bit since then for the environment to become a little more bootstrapper yeah. friendly. But you know, I think when someone underestimates you or doesn't take you seriously, you just have to smile to yourself and think, I'm making $2 million. (laughs) Yeah. I I have a feeling this person that made this confession is not, they're, they're sleeping just fine. They they are not too worried about that random comment. Right. I, I love that you said that the Lord, because it's like, yeah, we should be, we probably should be celebrating companies like this one. Like this Mm. is exactly the kind of company that should be an entrepreneur magazine and you know, celebrated, not, not the ones that's, I mean, I'm not putting down the companies that are going out and raising the funding rounds, but like this person's did it. Like this person's mm-hmm. gone out and achieved what we as bootstrappers want to achieve. So yeah. It's a different skill set, right? Raising money is a skill. Building a business is a skill. Yeah. We're going to take a break real quick right now to hear from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Well, we go from one bootstrapping relevant confession to another, albeit it's a little bit different. All right. How so? Well, things are going well for this bootstrapper too, but the person making the confession, they're at a bit of a crossroads. Interesting. Well, we better let them tell us about it themselves, or at least through a voice actor we've lined up. So here it is. Should I stay or should I grow? I'm the co-founder of a small startup company. We launched a tool that helps SEO professionals about three years ago and we built up a small following. There are only eight of us on the team, which includes me and my co-founders. When we started our company, we were intent on bootstrapping and getting to profitability quickly. And we did that. By the end of the first year alone, we were already generating enough revenue to cover all of our expenses and pay ourselves back the money that we initially loaned the business to get started. In our second year, we continued to see some more growth and hired a few people to get to the size we are today and we're still profitable enough to sustain ourselves. COVID didn't really impact our business much, thankfully, and we feel like we're set up to grow even more throughout 2021. Here's the problem. Now, my two co-founders really want to grow. In fact, they now seem intent on raising money from angel investors and venture capital firms and, you know, going that whole route. That honestly scares me. I believe in our company, but that just wasn't what I signed up for. I wanted to run an independent business, not have to answer to VCs about why we only grew 30% instead of 3,000%. My partners offered to let me leave the company and keep my shares of the business and get half pay as an advisor. I'm thinking about it, 
but it's really not what I want. I want to keep running an independent, profitable business, the one we built ourselves. I told them I'd think things over. Now I'm wondering if I should just suck it up and be a part of the team as we change course like this, and go the whole venture route. I'm honestly not too sure what to do. This is a really tough one. Things are going well for the business, but they could be growing even faster, potentially. And the other founders seem to think that outside funding is what's needed to grow. And, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We, of course, don't really know, but... Let's see what Laura thinks. So I've actually been in an extremely similar situation. So when I read this, to me, it's very clear that their co-founders definitely want to raise. It's not like, oh, we're not sure what we want to do. It's like they definitely want to raise and I definitely don't. To me, it sounds like kind of a sweet gig to still be paid as an advisor and not lose any yeah. of their equity. And of course, the sad and frustrating part is, you know, they would prefer to keep working on this business. But I just don't think that's the reality. You can't, I mean, one, two against one, right? And even if it was one on one, you wouldn't want to just be in that that impasse all the time. So I think this person should leave. And I think that there's probably something even better in their next business. I imagine it's like when anytime you start a business with co-founders, the reality is like you might have a different vision than, mm. or, you know, your visions ch could change. Like, is there anything sort of to talk on, on that? Like as people think about working with other people, I've always had co-founders. My business has always worked out great, but it is true. Like we, you know, I think one of the reasons it's worked out great is we've always thought differently, but sometimes that means, the plans you have are are different. Um, if you would maybe talk about that a little more. Yeah. So, you know, I've learned a lot of, of lessons from my co-founders or not co-founders. You know, another difference between me and the founder of the business that I left is she was a much harder worker than I was. Like, I am like a lifestyle business all the way. I'm like, <laughs> I want to be able to take time off. And she was like, let's like stay up all night and get this done. And I'm so excited about, you know, growing this huge and personality traits like that are really important between you and your co-founder. I mean, it is, it is a marriage. Like people say that you're going to hopefully be in for a long time. And now uh, my co-founder is my husband, who I am literally <laughs> married to, um, which, you know, a lot of people are like, that would be my nightmare. I would, I would never do that. But a few things that make it work for us. I mean, one, we're very aligned as far as, you know, lifestyle goals, financial goals, because it really ties into what we want for our family and for our life at large, right? We're on the same kind of path in life generally. And so that also aligns with our business. And we've found ways to make it work for us. Like um, we often call him the uncredited co-founder because you know anyone who follows me or my businesses knows that my picture is everywhere and, and his <laughs> is nowhere. <laughs> um, because that's, that's how we both prefer it. I mean, he would never be on a podcast. Actually, one time a podcast asked him to come on along with me. And I was like, it's not video. I'll do all the talking. He's like, no way. Absolutely not. <laughs> that is my worst nightmare, appearing on a podcast. So, we're, we're, you know, we're very different. And we do have a kind of agree. He's a developer. He builds the software. He loves that part being his expertise. He doesn't want to manage the people. He doesn't want to make all the strategic business decisions, you know. So I think it's also really important with co-founders 
to have those distinct skill sets and to really define what you own and what someone else owns. Because yeah, you don't want to be in a situation where you're arguing or even discussing, right? Even if you're not arguing, but it just gets, it really slows everything down. If every decision you make, you're all going to talk amongst yourselves and, and come to an agreement. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to, we see more uh, husband and wife teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, it's a fascinating development. I know it's always kind of been, but it, I, we're running into more and more of the spouse co-founders and and it's you're perfectly aligned in where you want to go for for greater life which is really really interesting did you guys discuss doing this for a while before jumping in was this something you guys always wanted to do i mean we yeah we definitely always wanted to because our skill sets are just so obviously complementary you know he i'm the marketing side and and he's the development side so and we had both been entrepreneurs already when we met. So yeah, it was kind of just kind of obvious that it would be fun to start a business together. And basically our our first business together was Meet Edgar. Um, I was teaching the methodology of Meet Edgar in a course. So basically what the software does, I was teaching people to do manually. So for him to look at it as a software developer, he's like, that's a really obvious translation to software. Like you're teaching people to do a system that software could do. And that wasn't obvious to me at the time. I actually thought it was very strange that software, because when we launched, you know, Hootsuite existed, Buffer existed. We weren't the first social media scheduling tool, but we were the first one to recycle your content and do some of the unique things that we do. I'm like, it's so weird that Buffer doesn't recycle your content. I guess you can't do it. I don't, it seems like a really <laughs> obvious idea to me. I guess it's just impossible or something. So of course he came in and was like, no, I can I can definitely, you know, recycle, recycle your content. It's, it's not that hard. So yeah, we knew from the beginning that we wanted to do something together. And it didn't take that long after we met to find what that project was. Nice, nice. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we've got two confessions down for today. And especially for bootstrapping product people out there, I'd say there's a lot to take away from these. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. So let's break these down and I'll start with my one big takeaway. I'll actually take it from the last confession we had. Should I stay or should I grow? The reality is I can't say for sure whether this founder ought to debate hard with the other co-founders to stay independent or to take outside capital. What I will say, though, is that we should remind ourselves that the businesses we've built, it's 100% okay that we're not part of them forever. It seems like this founder has hesitation about leaving a business that they helped to start, and for good reason, right? But when we build companies, they shouldn't always be tied to us forever. Actually, if you're able to build a company that can live on without you, you've really built something much bigger than yourself. And that's something you can really be proud of. So if it's determined that, yes, the right thing for the business to grow more rapidly is to take on outside funding, this founder will have a hard choice to make. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. If it's what's right for the business and what's right for the person personally, then it could be a big win-win. But the point is, your business isn't you and it doesn't have to be tied to you forever. Yeah, it's a that's a good point. I mean, a really good reminder for for all of us that are building businesses out there. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. I, I would say for me, my takeaway is going to come from the first confession, and that is, as a founder and a bootstrapping founder at that, we make our own success metrics. Other people do not, right? So it really doesn't matter if your business isn't one that seems flashy to other people or 
it's not getting the publicity that venture-backed companies get or doesn't impress people at cocktail parties. None of that matters as long as it's a success to you. So whatever metrics you care about, uh, if your business is hitting those, that's really the only thing that matters. I, mean, I don't need to tell the person making the confession that they seem to realize that they're earning millions of dollars in income and already very content flying under the radar. But you can decide what metrics matter most to you and stay focused on those. The rest might even be a distraction anyway. Well, that'll do it for today. We've got two more workplace confessions coming right at you next week. As always, for Michael Saka, this is Mike Belsito with Rocketship.fm, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.